The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Every time a missile misses its target, a train derails, or a faulty airbag fails to save a life, we wonder whether these failures, which can sometimes reach catastrophic proportions, are caused by a counterfeit part that may have infiltrated the supply chain. Welcome to People to People, working together for your safety with host Stan Salat. Stan has the answers to your questions on protecting yourself and the safety of your loved ones, including your pets. Don't miss out. Now, here is Stan Salat. Hello and welcome to People to People, working together for your safety. I'm your host, Stan Salat. Our show today is all about a standard-based way to avoid counterfeit parts. My guest today is Robert, uh, known as Bob Metzger. Bob has been on my show before, and I'm uh, excited to have him back again. We're going to be talking about the basic principles of system uh, of a system to detect, avoid, and avoid counterfeit parts, and how that's a straightforward way to do it. Uh, Bob is a lot of experience in this area. Uh, he works closely with the folks that are involved in the DFARS and all of the bits and pieces that go with that. So I don't want to take too much time. We're going to get into the show here in just a minute. But before we do, I'd like to recognize our sponsors. Uh, today's show is brought to you by our sponsor, Business and Quality Process Management, LLC, and Secure Components, LLC. Business and Quality Process Management, LLC, provides business process and quality management consulting training and software tools. The principles of BQPM led the development and implementation of the International Hazardous Substance process management certification program that's used by more than 4,500 manufacturers to demonstrate their compliance to the European Union's restriction of hazardous substances. Um, and that's an inter- and the International Counterfeit Avoidance Certification Program. To learn more about the work that BQPM does and how they can help you and your company, visit their website at bqpm.com. Secure Components, LLC, is an independent distributor specializing in obsolete and hard-to-find components. Secure Components is the first company in the world to achieve international certification for their counterfeit detection and mitigation (coughs) process controls. Their IECQ CAP certification was achieved in accordance with the SAE 6081 AS6081 standards. When you need to find high-quality, obsolete, or hard-to-find components, you want Secure Components on your team. To learn more about Secure Components uh, and what they can do for you, visit their website at www.securecomponents.com. As I was saying, I'm excited, I'm pleased, I'm very happy to have Robert S. Metzger 
uh, on the show again. Robert was on our show on the show about uh, six months ago. Uh, Robert works with the uh, government contracts. Uh, he actually is a member of the government contracts uh, practice group of Rogers Joseph O'Donnell, PC. He heads up the firm's Washington office. Mr. Metzger advises companies on key public contract compliance issues and is recognized as among the nation's leading experts in supply chain risk management and avoidance of counterfeit electronic parts. Robert, I think you're out there. I want to say hello and welcome to the show. I am out here, Stan, and thank you. It's uh, good to be back. I certainly do appreciate you taking the time to be with us today. I know you're busy, and uh, we we will only have a party part of the show with you today. But um, just a comment: we're missing you here at the DMSMS uh, trade show. The the department. Let's see, what is DMSMS again? It's defense. Uh, diminishing d- diminishing material supplies or diminishing manufacturing sources and material supplies. That's it. <laughs> and it takes somebody that's been at this for years to remember all these acronyms. So, uh, again, thank you, Robert. Um, listen, as I understand it, and uh, part of what we're going to actually be talking today about is a recent, uh, some recent work you did, an article that you published. And before we go too far away from that, we need to make sure we can let the folks know to how to uh, find your article. But I understand the um, Defense Department has released a, a new DFARS. And I'd really like to help our audience or have you help our audience understand what that is. And I understand there are six key points that you've identified in that paper that talk to uh, the issues and what it takes to actually put in place or what they need to do for a standards-based way to avoid the counterfeit parts um, in compliance with the DFARS. Um, is that, am I saying that yeah, correctly? Yeah, let, let me jump in. Okay. So I've written, uh, and I've written a, a number of articles over a period of several years about uh, counterfeit parts avoidance. And the most recent article, I think, is the sixth that I've put into the Bloomberg BNA publication called Federal Contracts Report on the subject. Uh, the best way to get it is to, to look at my firm's uh, website and then to go in to the heading for uh, counterfeit parts and supply chain uh, assurance. That's www.rjo.com. And I also okay. can be reached uh, directly at uh, rmetzger at rjo.com. I'm happy to share any of these articles. So in in the most recent article, what I what I'm trying to do is to help uh, guide industry as, as well as government in thinking about uh, practical, affordable, but successful ways to avoid counterfeit parts. And I'm doing that, of course, because a statute was passed uh, late in 2011 that uh, requires uh, major defense suppliers to implement systems to detect and avoid counterfeit parts. And uh, regulations were imposed upon the the largest defense uh, contractors uh, by this DFARS uh, promulgation uh, in in May of this year. Now, some some in your audience might listen at this point and be tempted to turn off and say, "Well, you you've said these regulations apply only to 
largest of Defense Department contractors, why does this concern me? Well, it concerns uh, a much, much broader part of the electronic supply chain than just the contractors who are directly subject to the rule. And it has that uh, effect, let's say, in, in two ways. Okay. First, the way that the, the law is uh, structured and the way the, the regulations uh, operate is uh, intended to, to make the largest DOD contractors directly subject to new requirements to detect and avoid counterfeit parts and to require that those largest contractors flow down these new requirements to all levels of their supply chain regardless of how big or small those companies are and regardless of how many customers they may serve that are not defense contractors. The, the law and the regulations seek to use the, the large DOD contractors as the, as the instrumentality to improve uh, counterfeit parts avoidance uh, throughout the supply chain that uh, produces electrical, electromechanical, and electronic parts that eventually are used in defense systems. But let's consider that impact broad as it is just to be, let's say, it, uh, part A of the implications of this new law. Part okay. B goes uh, beyond uh, the defense supply base because these best practices that are now being implemented by uh, the Pentagon and its contractors I believe that they will call. They will start to migrate uh, outside of defense electronics and affect and influence uh, how other electronics uh, systems and parts and uh, and sources are uh, act to avoid counterfeit parts. I mean, just because there might be a more critical impact in some respect if a counterfeit enters into uh, a military system. Obviously, there can be very critical impacts if counterfeits were to enter into information and communications technology or, or into medical devices or, or, to, or into industrial equipment. And so uh, I think what we will see is that the emerging practices uh, that are developed and uh, implemented to satisfy this, this law and these new regulations will start to have broader influence and start to extend into a larger segment of the electronics industry far removed from defense equipment. You bring up a very interesting point, particularly as we move into the holidays between Thanksgiving and December 25th holidays. I'm seeing a lot more media attention being paid to counterfeits. Um, and while there is still the, the pieces of the military and the Department of Defense, it really seems to be already uh, coming to the attention of consumers at large, uh, people at large, that it is really much, much bigger than that. Well, it, it really is huge, as you know, and I appreciate that your show covers many aspects. My focus has been primarily upon counterfeit electronic parts. Right. And uh, my, my clients in the area include uh, a wide range of companies, some very small companies that are brokers, non-stocking distributors, distributors, test laboratories, to uh, companies that make uh, chassis and assemblies of electronic parts, all the way up to Tier 1 companies. I've uh, advised one 
uh, international company with $50 billion a year in aerospace and defense sales on how to, how to revise their counterfeit prevention plan. I mention this because I want to impress upon your listeners how, it, it, how diverse uh, and dangerous the threat of counterfeits is. Obviously, a counterfeit that might uh, cause a guidance system on a weapon to fail would have a terrible effect. But there are risks of counterfeits in, in so many different types of equipment, military and otherwise. Very, so often, equipment that we don't think of as being an electronic system, in fact, depends and operates with the use of an electronic part. And any electronic part, with some limitations, is potentially vulnerable to counterfeiting. And why? Right. Why is that? Well, in some cases, there are unscrupulous actors who will... Uh, purport to offer a compliant part and will offer something that's different and substandard, and they'll do it to make a buck. In other cases, we may have equipment that was produced a while ago and needs to be maintained where you can't easily get the original parts from uh, the original equipment manufacturer or from an authorized distributor. And and in still other cases, a few, there can be situations where there's uh, even a hostile intent to insinuate uh, maliciously encoded or tainted parts into the electronic supply chain, but beyond electronic parts, there's you know counterfeits present such a, an array of risk at the consumer level. Counterfeit counterfeits can mean that you buy uh, an item believing it to be from an authentic designer, only to find that you've not you know you've obtained a fake. That happens all too often. It right. also can mean that you you buy a car thinking that the car will be serviced using parts that are compliant with the manufacturer's requirements and then find that a, a part in your car fails because the, the chip that was used to re- replace a board to control a function was, was counterfeit. So I, I think there is a, a broad interest in the part of uh, the public uh, in, in avoidance of counterfeit parts and also in avoidance of counterfeit materiel. Although I focus on electronic parts, there's all too many examples of situations where people would buy pipe, for example, expecting it to meet a certain standard of safety and performance only to get a counterfeit that doesn't meet that standard and fails. Yeah, I, I was, it was brought to my attention, actually, through, a uh, again, one of the TV articles, but uh, TV shows, actually, but uh, counterfeit titanium screws used to... Um, basically hold bones together in a human body when they've broken. Um, you know, my mind goes immediately to the, the, the uh, military and you get that out in the field and somebody's uh, needing medical attention. You mentioned medical devices. It's not electronic, but it has the same or could have the same de- devastating effect. So I think right. your point's so- very well taken. What what happened here is that uh, there were a number of well-publicized incidents four or five years ago of where counterfeit electronic parts worked their way into military aircraft or other defense systems and then failed. Hopefully, hopefully no one was, was killed. And this led to Senate hearings conducted by the Armed Services Committee, and that led to a lengthy report with a great deal of evidence, and that led the Congress to act to tell the Department of Defense and its supply chain what they must do to avoid counterfeit parts and their repercussions. Now, all things being equal, every 
responsible actor in civil industry and in commercial technology or in in the defense supply chain ought to be vigilant to avoid counterfeit parts. It serves no one's legitimate interest to allow counterfeit parts or material into any product. But in the particular case of the Defense Department, we have a statute that imposes improved practices. And the last several years have, have involved a great deal of activity by technical groups, such as the standard-setting organizations, by hundreds of contractors, by subject area experts, and by technology sources to come up with a wide variety of ways to reduce the vulnerability to counterfeits, to improve the likelihood that counterfeits would be detected, and uh, then to, uh, to mitigate those risks through additional inspection and test, and also to uh, provide for improved uh, reporting of uh, counterfeits and notification to authorities. You're at the DMSMS uh, conference, which is a very important event because one of the areas where we've seen a lot of progress in the last couple of years is in the recognition by the Pentagon and by its uh, principal suppliers that one of the best ways to avoid exposure to counterfeits is to be thinking ahead about the time when particular parts will be obsolete, their materials may become unavailable, and to take measures to uh, avoid the vulnerability to out-of-production parts. Those measures could be to, uh, to make uh, substantial buys of, uh, of an, end of, at an, an end of production to have a sufficient inventory on hand. Some measures might be to redesign equipment so that it can use newer devices. Some measures might be to uh, design uh, equipment so that it's uh, less, well, less dependent upon devices that are out of production or where the materials used may no longer be authorized. But it, it illustrates a point, and that is that counterfeit prevention involves so many different uh, facets of the life cycle of a product from really from inception, that is, what is the product and what do we want it to do, through design, through qualification, through the specification of a bill of material, through the purchase of parts from various suppliers, through inspection and test, delivery support and sustainment, and eventually even through to proper disposition of old equipment that's no longer to be used. And and the lessons that we're learning in how to to deal with the counterfeit risk in the defense area, I think, uh, are important to other industries which depend upon authentic material for the proper functioning of equipment and uh, and and well and instrumentation. Yeah, quite right. Uh, we need to take a break here for just uh, a couple of minutes, but. Um your point is very well taken, and and you're absolutely right. The show, the uh, trade show this week, uh, a lot of emphasis on that planning uh, and making sure that you're paying attention to uh, the the entire life cycle. Uh, Bob, stay with us if you will, uh, and folks, we're going to take a short break for radio identification. We'll be right back. Don't go away. Stimulating talk gets those synapses in the brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one Internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com 
Secure Components is proud to be the first independent distributor certified to the Department of Defense adopted AS6081 counterfeit avoidance standard. Our clients view us as partners in counterfeit avoidance because we share our source of supply. We have earned their trust to procure electronic and mechanical components specifically when their requirements are obsolete or unavailable from authorized sources. Visit securecomponents.com today to learn why the largest aerospace, defense, and technology companies in the world partner with Secure Components. Did you know that hazardous substances and counterfeit material can be in everything we buy? From new clothing, cars, toys, power cords, and charging units, to your garden hose and the drywall in your home. Did you know that many of these toxins or counterfeits have been found to cause infertility, birth defects, autism, obesity, and diabetes, which can be passed down from parents to children? It's nearly impossible to know the ingredients in these products, yet Stan Salat Jr., author and creator of the not-for-profit HSF Mark Alliance and Counterfeit Avoidance Mark Alliance, believes that consumers have the right to know the type and amount of hazardous materials in the products we buy. Are you a retailer, a manufacturer, a manager, and a person who cares about the safety of the products you sell and buy? Protect your assets, your job, and your family now. Tell Stan that you want his help. Contact BQPM today. Visit our website at www.bqpm.com or call toll-free 877-415-0191. BQPM.com. Together, we are working for your safety. We're making it easier to listen to the Voice America Talk Radio Network live wherever you go on iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android. Download it from the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. This is People to People, working together for your safety. If you have a question or comment about the program, please send an email to Stan at stansalot.com. Again, that's Stan at stansalot.com. Now, back to People to People. Welcome back to People to People, working together for your safety. I'm your host, Stan Salat. Our show today is all about a standards-based way to avoid counterfeit parts. My guest, Robert Metzger. Bob is with me today, and he's been talking about a recent article that he's written, but more importantly, he's been sharing his experience uh, and some of the things that he does on a daily basis to help companies um, do the right thing, I guess, is one way to say it, or shall we say uh, comply with the requirements. Uh, Bob is very knowledgeable in the DFARS, and I'm going to get back to Bob right now. Uh, Bob, you're still there? Yes. Okay. Before the break, we were talking about standards and the importance and the fact that it's, while it is focused, a lot of our efforts, yours, mine, and many others, is on electronic parts. Uh, you were commenting that it's, it's, it's actually broader than that, and it's not just the military equipment that we're working on. So I'm going to turn it back over to you, and uh, perhaps you could uh, talk a little bit. You've highlighted six uh, particular keys in your article. And once again, if you would, uh, for those that may have just joined us or didn't write it down, how can uh, the audience get a hold of that paper? Sure. Again, the best way to, to get the piece is perhaps to email me, rmetzger, R-M-E-T-Z-G-E-R, at rjo.com, or to go on my firm's website, 
www.rjo.com, there's a a tab for publications and a sub-tab for counterfeit parts and supply chain. So I mentioned the uh, Defense Department uh, acquisition regulations, the DFARS, and these came out in May, and they're now being enforced and applied by roughly 1,200 large defense companies who are directly subject to those uh, regulations. And as I indicated, the, those companies are obliged to flow down the key requirements to all of their supply chain, small business, commercial, everywhere, anyone. Not everyone's going to accept all the requirements. There's going to be areas where we need to work out what is sufficient. But by operation of the regulations and the flow down, there's going to be a very broad part of the electronic supply industry affected. Now, uh, the new regulations impose uh, they, re- they impose a requirement that that all companies should have uh, systems to detect and avoid counterfeit parts, and those systems have to be compliant with uh, twelve criteria according to the DFARS. And I'm going to talk about six of them that are particularly difficult and important. And as is true almost of of every aspect of these new regulations, if you kind of hear the theme of it, you'll will naturally want to agree that, of course, any any ethical company will want to do that. And you might even think that, well, it can't be that hard to achieve those particular criteria because they're just good business sense or ethical conduct. But because the, the electronic supply chain reflects such an enormously complex and diverse set of companies, and the circumstances of each company are different, when you get down to the details of implementation, it can get pretty hard to figure out how to do it. And that's why I wrote this article, was to suggest ways in which we can organize compliance among this diverse range of thousands of companies around certain existing and emerging industry standards so that people have got a common benchmark, if you will, set of benchmarks to look at All for right. compliance. So let's talk about the first of these criteria. It's uh, inspection and testing. Okay. And, uh, the, one of the, sorry? No, I just agreeing with you. <laughs> so, uh, you know, the, the first proposition of the new law and regulations is that you should buy electronic parts from the original source uh, or from its authorized distributor. That the risk All of right. a counterfeit is less if you buy from the OEM. It's hard to argue with that. That's you might say to yourself, well, why don't we just do that all the time? Well, there's a couple answers. An example of the answer is that we need electronic parts to support equipment that may have been made five years ago or ten years ago or, in some cases, 50 years ago or close. And uh, the rate of change in the commercial electronics industry is very fast. But once systems are made, especially defense systems, they have a life cycle or they remain in, in service for many years beyond the, the product life cycle of the parts that are used inside them. And so we have literally thousands, if not tens of thousands, of situations where systems that are in the field need to be supported and maintained, and the parts needed to do that are not available anymore from the OEM or their franchise distributor and where uh, the part itself may be obsolete, and it could be difficult, even impossible, to, to produce a new one. So in that situation, what the, the regulation says, well, if you can't get a part from uh, the original source, if you have to use another source, 
then you should be imposing additional inspection and testing. Well, that makes sense. In other words, if the source isn't the most reliable one, you should do more inspection and testing to be sure. Uh, The problem is how much additional inspection and testing and uh, what type and in what circumstances and how do you know? So the the regulation says, well, for government uh, defense articles, the amount of inspection and testing shall be based on minimizing risk to the government. You're supposed to take into account the probability that you might receive an electronic part, whether the methods of inspection and test will detect a counterfeit, and the potential for negative consequences. Again, these propositions make great sense. However, when you apply them, they can be problematic. Many companies will establish inventory of electronic parts, even ones that are not currently in production, without ever knowing who the ultimate end user is of the part or how sensitive that end use is. Nevertheless, it it is important to apply risk-based methods to determine how much inspection and test is required. And there is a new standard that's about to come out from the SAE organization, which will be very valuable in helping to determine what the risks are associated with a particular part and what inspection and test measures should be taken. And this is called standard AS6171. And it divides the risk assessment into three categories. It looks at the risk first of the source. What do you know about the source? Its ownership, its past practices, its history, its reliability. The second is, what do you know about the part itself? Is it a critical part for the application? Is it the kind of part that's easy to counterfeit? And the third aspect is the the risk at the level of the system. If you know where a part is going to be installed, you can make a distinction, for example, between a part that's in the guidance system of a missile, which if it's fake could cause the missile to run off course, or a part which is in some, you know, secondary or tertiary uh, monitoring device, which if it failed would not cause a harm. And the standard gives the the purchasing company or the government or the provider uh, an organized way to assess the risk of the supplier, the risk of the component itself, and the risk in the system. And it also takes into account uh, the opportunities that inspection and testing provide to detect a counterfeit as well as mitigation measures that may be present in the design or in the engineering of a particular system. Some systems are designed to be fault tolerant so that even if one part was a counterfeit, the system itself would correct an operation to avoid the impact. So uh, it's a crucial point to industry because, in general, these new regulations applied to 1,200 companies directly and to many thousands indirectly they're imposing new obligations that are not now being paid for by the government or customers. These become additional expenses to companies, and everyone needs to have a smart, practical, and successful way to comply without spending too much and without doing more than is necessary. Let me stop there and see, Stan, if you have any questions about that. Well, I don't have any questions, but I have a thought. And just, um, I mean, we've got six points. We've only, we've only touched on one. But one of the other things that does come to my mind, particularly when we're dealing with um, 
legacy type equipment or equipment that's been in use for a long time. You also run into the problem of having insufficient quantity of parts and testing. I'm assuming 6171 does take into consideration if you only have three parts and you need one of three that uh, the rules wouldn't say you have to test all three to destructive level and then... Well, that's a very good question. I'm not sure that it does. Uh, There are yet to be explored aspects of 6171. 6171 is a great architecture. It gives you a very thoughtful way to assess and then to manage risk. And it gives you a way to index or ratchet the amount and nature of the test you perform. But you won't, if you look at that standard, you won't find any place where you get to weigh the cost of the particular test or inspection technique as such. And I don't think that there's any specific input as to the number of parts that are available, although there is recognition that some tests are destructive and some are not. This issue of sufficient parts, though, is a very difficult one, and it illustrates my point earlier that some propositions that are entirely supportable at 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 the superficial level become very difficult at implementation. You know, in theory, if you have 100 parts and you need only three, you would recognize that a counterfeit for any of the three would have an adverse impact on a system. You'd want to avoid it. Right. But the same risk is present if you have 50 parts or 15 or 5. And, right. And, uh, you know, there, there's, it would be a fallacy, I think, analytically to believe that because you have more parts from a, a source other than the original maker, it's a fallacy to think that just because you have a lot of parts, you have less of a risk of counterfeit in picking any one because any one could be counterfeit if the nature of the source is the same, the vulnerability of the part to being counterfeit is the same, and the impact of the system if it is counterfeit is the same. And now, reality, it, reality yeah. being that if, if you don't have traceability, then everything is at least at a level of suspect. Well, let's talk about traceability. Uh, this is a particularly difficult uh, matter. Uh, the new regulation says that it expects companies to maintain traceability back to the original manufacturer. And it says that uh, a compliant process should, uh, should require the retention of, uh, should, 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 sorry, should, should uh, employ uh, information. I should rather than try to read, let me see if I can get the phrasing exactly right. Okay. So what it says is uh, process, this is the requirement in the system criteria. Processes for maintaining electronic part traceability that enable tracking of the supply chain back to the original manufacturer. Well, in all things being equal, if that information was available, a buyer would want to know what the pedigree or provenance was of every part, and you'd want to right. look at the traceability documentation as a way to establish that provenance and therefore to authenticate the part. The problem is that for the most part, traceability is a current requirement, if, if it is even that. M- many, many parts have been procured from honest and reputable sources over many years without this requirement of traceability. There's no way today to impose contemporary standards for traceability 
on parts that were bought a year or five or ten years ago. So you have to come up with some other way, additional inspection and test, to, to reduce the risk and, uh, uh, and to have a higher assurance that a part isn't counterfeit. In, in the area of traceability, we are seeing, again, some movement in, in standards. And one of the most important developments in this area is from a different standards organization called JDEC. JDEC is the organization that essentially sets the standards that are used by the electronics uh, chip industry, the people that make semiconductor devices. Right. And there's a, a draft standard, uh, 31D.01, which is, uh, I think, nearing release, which imposes a standard of traceability to be part of the purchase order or shipping documentation. And that's really important because if the device makers don't impose traceability, then the purchases are going are, are gonna to have a heck of a time satisfying this requirement. Without traceability going forward in a better way, we just perpetuate the potential of counterfeit. Right. In, in the, you know, the problem will have some time horizon as right. better efforts are made to avoid exposure to obsolescence, as designs are made more resilient or resistant to damage by counterfeit, as more companies buy only from original sources, as uh, another a thing I expect is that where you need to use a distributor or a broker, you will start to employ those who are highly specialized and, and who apply these standards-based methods to have more reliable process. So as this concert of action occurs, I think we will see a reduction in the, the incidence, you know, the frequency and the number of counterfeit devices. But we should not be misled into thinking that that, uh, that the problem will be solved or entirely avoided uh, soon. And, and the reason is that, that counterfeiting remains a, a big business. There are both uh, crude and very sophisticated uh, enterprises who exploit the demand for parts that are either expensive to get or hard to find. And they range in, in the sophistication of those ranges from, as I said, crude to very sophisticated. And, and we continue to see uh, evolution in the sophistication of the, the makers of fakes. And uh, e even though we can take many actions that will reduce the industry's exposure, it's going to take a continuing effort, a partnership of government and industry consumers, users, designers, to, to really bring this uh, threat to uh, the reduced level that we all seek. Yeah, it truly is an international uh, problem, and certainly, uh, as you're well aware as well. We need to take another short break here for radio identification. Uh, we'll be back in just a minute, and uh, Bob is going to be with us to continue this discussion. We, I'm not sure we're going to get through all six points, but uh, certainly we can highlight them, Bob. Sure. Okay. Don't go away. Come back. We'll, uh, we'll be back with you in just uh, about one minute. Streaming live. The leader in Internet talk radio, VoiceAmerica.com. 
Did you know that hazardous substances and counterfeit material can be in everything we buy? From new clothing, cars, toys, power cords, and charging units, to your garden hose and the drywall in your home. Did you know that many of these toxins or counterfeits have been found to cause infertility, birth defects, autism, obesity, and diabetes, which can be passed down from parents to children? It's nearly impossible to know the ingredients in these products, yet Stan Salat Jr., author and creator of the not-for-profit HSF Mark Alliance and Counterfeit Avoidance Mark Alliance, believes that consumers have the right to know the type and amount of hazardous materials in the products we buy. Are you a retailer, a manufacturer, a manager, and a person who cares about the safety of the products you sell and buy? Protect your assets, your job, and your family now. Tell Stan that you want his help. Contact BQPM today. Visit our website at www.bqpm.com or call toll-free 877-415-0191, bqpm.com. Together, we are working for your safety. Secure Components is proud to be the first independent distributor certified to the Department of Defense adopted AS6081 Counterfeit Avoidance Standard. Our clients view us as partners in counterfeit avoidance because we share our source of supply. We have earned their trust to procure electronic and mechanical components specifically when their requirements are obsolete or unavailable from authorized sources. Visit SecureComponents.com today to learn why the largest aerospace defense and technology companies in the world partner with Secure Components. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com This is People to People, working together for your safety. If you have a question or comment about the program, please send an email to Stan at StanSalat.com. Again, that's Stan at StanSalat.com. Now, back to People to People. Welcome back to People to People, working together for your safety. I'm your host, Stan Salat. Our show today is all about a standard-based way to avoid counterfeit parts. My guest, uh, the distinguished Robert Metzger, is with me, and we've twisted his arm to uh, spend the third segment of the show with us. He had originally had a commitment, which he's been kind enough to uh, postpone just briefly. So I want to get right back to the discussions we're having with, uh, with Bob, and, um, and let's get back to the topic, if you would. Bob, we were talking about traceability. We've, uh, we've talked about that in testing. There are four additional points in your paper, and I'll let you pick up and uh, run as you so feel. Well, I'd like to, to bring two of them uh, together. Okay. Uh, w- one of the requirements of systems that are compliant with new regulations to avoid counterfeit parts is that responsible contractors avoid the return of uh, devices that are found to be counterfeit or suspect into the supply chain. We talk about this as proliferation. If you find something that you know is counterfeit or think might be counterfeit, you want to be sure that you don't put it back into the flow of parts so that somebody else ends up buying it and doesn't discover it. And along the same lines, it it shouldn't shouldn't surprise anyone that uh, the government uh, wants to be informed 
when you become aware of a counterfeit electronic part for a defense app, uh, application. And the government wants uh, the, a company that discovers such a counterfeit, at the very least, to quarantine the part so that it doesn't uh, get back into the supply chain and to uh, make it available to investigators if necessary to figure out whether some you know, action, civil or criminal, can be pursued. Well, here, here again, you know, we have this conflict between the objectives that are laudable and the difficulties in implementation. And, and here again, I think there are emerging industry standards that can help resolve some of the, the doubts. Uh, one, here, here is an example of uh, the problem in, in practice. Suppose that a prime contractor uh, enters into an agreement with a a system maker to provide a radar, and that system maker enters into an agreement with uh, uh, companies that make individual circuit boards or chassis that go into the radar. Mm -hmm. Well, over a period of years, the obligation to support that system will require purchasing of parts from sources who are not uh, the original component manufacturer. The, the parts won't be available. So what we're seeing emerge is a, is a situation where the prime contractor that ultimately needs the part tells the lowest uh, level source in the chain that it has the responsibility to go find the right part from a distributor. And then it uh, requires that distributor to hire a testing laboratory to figure out whether the part is counterfeit. And then what we are seeing is that if the testing lab determines that the part is counterfeit, uh, there's an, an uncertainty as to who exactly will take the responsibility to assure that the part doesn't go back into the supply chain or to give notice to the government or properly report to authorities. So the company at the, at the top may say that it never uh, actually purchased the part, never took delivery. Right. The company in the middle similarly uh, issued the instructions to somebody lower the part itself may be in the hands of a test lab that doesn't own it and is only uh, studying it. And then even the company that bought the part and sent it to the test lab, it, it may have uncertain arrangements with uh, the source of the part. And so you, you have a situation that's, that's rife with opportunity for disagreement, even commercial dispute, and where, unfortunately, I've seen all too often that virtually every actor at every step of the supply chain is trying to find some reason that they should not be the party that reports the part or assures that it is quarantined or informs the authorities. And they tend to do that because they think that if they are the reporting party or the quarantining party, they're going to be investigated or accused of some noncompliance. And uh, they also would like to have the cost be borne by someone else. Well, we do need to resolve this. The, the law is quite clear that you have to report a counterfeit part to a contracting officer and to another government authority called the GIDEP, the Government Industry right. Data Exchange Program. But even though the statute's been on the books for nearly three years now, and we were promised regulations originally just three, nine months after enactment, we're still waiting to hear from the government what the regulations are as to this reporting question. We just don't know. And in the absence of that, uh, I think it's important to, uh, to, to find you know, responsible standards 
and they are emerging, again, from the SAE organization, that tell each participant in the supply chain, the test laboratory, for example, the distributor, the direct purchaser, the ultimate intended user, each one of them needs to know what's expected of it under these standards. And we, we can hopefully organize answers to this reporting dilemma and assure that parts do not return to the supply chain by not only uh, adopting standards, uh, but, but by uh, enabling firms to be qualified to and certified to them. And I do want to go on you know, beyond that before I lose my time to emphasize the, uh, the very important aspect of standards. The DFAR says that you're supposed to use original sources when you can get them, but it recognizes inevitably that a lot of parts need to be purchased that are not available from the original suppliers. Right. So you have to deal with other actors. They could be brokers and distributors, stocking distributors, contract manufacturers, and the like. Well, every one of those participants in the supply chain is supposed to have its own system to detect and avoid counterfeit parts. Well, how does any one buyer have confidence that any one seller or source or supplier or test lab is going to do the right thing? Does every buyer have to send out an audit team to go to the test labs and its sources and suppliers and subcontractors and vendors to individually qualify them? That would be crazy. And even if it was a good idea in one instance, well, you'd find that a typical supplier may have 25 customers, and you can't have 25 customers coming in expecting somewhat, something somewhat different. And that's where standards, I think, can fulfill the most important function, and that is by enabling companies to qualify and receive certification for their compliance to these responsible standards. That becomes objective evidence that a particular source, supplier, lab, purchaser, distributor, that evidence of certification is what ought to be enough to generate trust from the purchaser and to generate acceptability from the standpoint of the government. The application and, and sensible utilization of a standards-based regime is a way to bring at least some order to the potential chaos that could occur as we implement these new counterfeit detection principles across such a broad supply chain. Hey, you, you've just triggered something, and uh, I'll, talk, I'll actually talk to you about this offline, but um, I'm thinking that perhaps we should get a team of, or a group of folks from a test house, a distributor, a broker, a uh, franchise dealer yourself and me to try and keep the peace and have a show where we talk about what, what works and what doesn't work for each party. That that could be one heck of a show. I think that would be a good idea and it would be useful also to involve some of the government oversight personnel because uh, an organization called the Defense Contract Management Agency has the responsibility to review the counterfeit avoidance plans of these 1,200 <laughs> companies directly subject to this rule. And one of the challenges to them is to figure out uh, how they are to decide whether uh, the system at Company X is compliant or the system at Company Y is not. They need to be consistent, but they also have to recognize the diversity of the supply base. And, right. and that's where I think it's so important that we 
use standards and we trust industry to 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 make the investment to comply with standards to demonstrate the certification that they indeed meet the requirements of the standards and if you make that investment and you earn the certification then i think that's a distinguishing characteristic that ought to earn you more business and ought to ought to earn you acceptance by government overseers yes it should and we actually do have um systems that that can demonstrate that value unfortunately bob we have reached the end uh, or almost the end of our show here um i want to thank you once again for your time and uh, again especially for your extending uh, you had other uh, things you had to do so i really do appreciate you taking the extra time and i'm going to uh, get back with you and talk to you about uh, for possibly putting on a specific show of what we were just talking about Thank you. It was my uh, pleasure to participate again. Okay. Well, folks, here we are once again at the end of our show. Um, A number of things have been discussed by all means. And, Bob, you're still there once again before I let you go. Your website so that folks can find you? RJO.com. And my email is... R-M-E-T-Z-G-E-R at R-J-O dot com. Thanks. Okay, folks. If you have need or have more questions, by all means, reach out to Bob. People to People, Working Together for Your Safety is dedicated to bringing people together to share knowledge and create a safer environment for us all. If you have a question, agree or disagree with the information we are sharing, send me an email with your comments or questions. You can send me an email at stan at stansalot.com. We've tried to make this a little bit easier. That's stan at stansalot.com. You're also welcome to join uh, my Twitter account at stansalotjr. That's stansalotjr for junior. Um, I'd also like to thank our host, or our sponsors rather, uh, Business and Quality Process Management, BQPM.com. Uh, you can uh, reach them for any consulting training or software tools to support your endeavors. There's uh, Secure Components. Uh, Secure Components specializes in obsolete and hard-to-find components. If you have a need for those for the obsolete or hard-to-find components, SecureComponents.com is your resource. Uh, they're one of the few companies that have achieved that international certification. Also want to recognize the staff for making the show possible. From Voice America, we have Brandy Jackson, General Manager, Robert Cellino, my executive producer. Randy Jackman is our production manager, and Jeffrey Gerstel is our director of host services. On the business side, we have Yulia Koch, Coach Branding and People-to-People Production Manager. She's the person that helps me put these shows together and make sure that I'm doing the right thing. Without her, I would be totally lost. As we sign off today, I want to thank you for joining on People-to-People Working Together for Your Safety. Remember, change only happens when people come together and work together. Your help in the fight against the proliferation of hazardous substances and counterfeiting of consumer uh, products could save a life. Until next week, I'm your host, Stan Salat, wishing you a safe and healthy life. 
Thank you for listening. Please join host Stan Salat for next week's edition of People to People, working together for your safety. We'll have another show next Tuesday at 5 p.m. Eastern Time, 2 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Have a safe, toxic, and counterfeit-free week. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management.